Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. All right, welcome in. Cube Show podcast, a college football podcast looking to bring you college football content each and every Sunday. Because what we need on Sundays after we go and worship, right, is to head to what we may worship more, and that's college football. We're always sponsored by Wickles Pickles each and every week. Go get a jar as big as your head. Uh, Wickles Pickles, wickedly delicious. Um, had my kids trying them yesterday afternoon. We just had a jar out. We were slamming a couple back. Love Wickles Pickles. Always appreciate them. Find them online. Find them in your local grocery store. If your local grocery store doesn't have them, then you're going to be able to order them there online. Wickles Pickles, wickedly delicious. Actually, a lot to get into today. It's going to be a pretty busy show. Once again, we don't tell you how popular we are or who all loves us or all the reasons that we uh, do certain things. I will. I have been told that I need to ask you to subscribe to the YouTube channel. So we appreciate that. Uh, Download, subscribe, um, all the podcasts. We appreciate the five-star reviews. You guys are amazing. We appreciate it. We're going to try to continue to bring you college football content each and every Sunday, because as you know, this is now a year-round sport with what's happening in the portal, coaching changes, uh, NIL, a lot of different things. NLI, one of the big topics this week. So I'll ask this, did Florida do the right thing? Did Billy Napier do the right thing in letting Jaden Rashada out of his NLI? Not NIL, National Letter of Intent. So how this works is when you go to sign a scholarship with a school, you sign the National Letter of Intent, and then that's where you're going to end up going. Very difficult to get out of a lot of the times. We've seen school play hardball with these in the past and doesn't usually end well for one side or the other. With today's recruiting, with where everything is on social media, what everybody knows, what everybody says, how much these players are talking to each other, which is actually more than ever because of NIL, name, image, likeness. I've heard multiple stories about backups at certain schools getting more than starters at other schools. Those starters are all of a sudden mad. It, it goes 101 different directions, maybe 101,000 different directions. It's very complicated. Billy Napier did the right thing, letting Jaden Rashada five-star quarterback out of Florida, out of his national letter of intent. Because what happens there is every other school immediately has a massive amount of ammunition for negative recruiting. Negative recruiting is real. It's never gone away. It's never been something that people don't utilize. The extent or how or what the context is of it can obviously be, be very different. But this is something you had to do. Now, we can go a little bit further into where we are with the complications of how this took place. So you guys know about collectives, basically groups that bring money together to be able to give to athletes for NIL. And let's call it what it is. It's pay for play. There's no fucking name, image, likeness at this point. You're basically taking money, giving it to kids a certain amount to come to school. That's what it is. I'm going to call it what it is. I'm sorry. And I'm not against it. I don't think guys shouldn't get paid. Do I think that there should be different guidelines for it? Yes, but I'm also a realist in understanding that there's probably no way to do that. I've heard every different 
discussion, talk, try, attempt at how you could regulate this, have rules around this. And I just think they're going to continue to be circumvented because it's so new. That's how we got to collectives. It was new and schools wanted a way to be able to get top end talent. They had the money gathered to be able to do it. And boom, here we go. They figured it out. Loopholes are going to always pop up. And if there's one thing that we know in collegiate athletics, and especially with the NCAA, they're not looking very far down the road as to what the underbelly is going to be or how certain situations are going to be able to be taken advantage of. For example, the four-game red shirt rule. Incredible rule, right? Oh, guys can get hurt and you don't have to worry about taking a red shirt year. Or, you know, guys can go play a couple of games, figure it's not going to work out. That's not going to burn their entire season. It was really good. It was cool. But what happened this year is you had guys after they played in three or four football games going to their coaches and they said, Hey, coach, um, I'll, I'll go to scout team, but I don't want to go in the games anymore. I'm good. We're talking about guys who are playing, guys who are heavy contributors, special teams, role players, maybe in the run game or fifth, sixth option at wide receiver, a team that rolls a lot of receiver, a team that rolls a lot of defensive linemen. They're getting legitimate playing time, playing, you know, I'm talking 20, 25, 30 snaps a game, not a guy that's gotten in one game for five plays. That's not what I'm talking about. It's about guys helping a team going to their coach and volunteering to not play. So underbelly of that rule, not something that's really thought of. They're trying to save that extra year of eligibility because they know they're going to hit the portal and they, they can't quit because they understand what that's going to lead to and what that's going to be. And the coaches actually need them to go into the portal to get the scholarship back because you can now quit at most places because you're signing a four-year deal and just ride it out as long as you want. That's the unfortunate reality of where we are in some of college football. So that's pretty weird. And that's pretty different. But where we've gotten to now, as far as lines of communication, you have agents that are going out and negotiating deals for kids. They're obviously inflating deals. This individual player, remember, a number was was floated uh, a couple months ago, and he and his family actually came out and essentially said that's not the real number. It's not exactly what it was. And if 13 and a half million is the number for Jaden Rashad at Florida that he thought he was going to get or promised or agreed upon, whatever, I don't think he's going to get half that somewhere else. I don't know. I'm just being honest with you. I, I don't, I don't think he's going to approach half of that at another school. So I, he can be mad that he's not going to get that, but to be mad that you're not going to get that and just automatically think that that's going to be somewhere else. First off, there's not a ton of schools that have that there, whether it's one lump sum over four years, over three years, there's not a ton of schools that just have that. The capabilities to go get that. And let's say you got one guy that shows up and boom, he's going to be writing checks for a couple of years. It's that, that kind of money is just not everywhere. It isn't. Sorry. I, I know a lot of people want to think that it is, but it's not. So Now you have agents that are negotiating with a kid, with a collective, not a school, with a collective, which in some cases are groups of guys that don't have everything in line, and they're just scrambling. They're just trying to make the best thing possible happen. I really don't think that there was a ton of ill will involved here, and I don't know all the details. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I haven't talked to the guys at the Gator Collective. I I, I don't know exactly all of what went wrong here, but I know where some of the disconnect was. And I don't think this was somebody trying to pull a ruse on a kid or an agent or parent, anything like that. It's just somewhere, somehow, the numbers got changed as to what was promised, what was going to be able to happen, what would happen, what didn't happen. So now 
you have a lot of people that are thinking that this staff doesn't know how to recruit, which is not true. Now you have people thinking this collective doesn't have any money, which is also not true. But you also have a kid that is wherever he goes is going to be viewed a certain way. I think that's unfortunate because you have a guy that changes commitment a couple of times. You have a guy that backed out of a national letter of intent. So there's going to be a cloud either way. And my understanding is if you're banging on the kid, you're hating on the kid, don't. It's not all on him. There are a lot of other people involved here that probably deserve some more or all the blame. And that's where I, I don't know how to cut that pie up. I don't know the percentages to hand out. And honestly, I don't really care. What I do care about is a kid that wants, just wants to try to go play football somewhere, and now this is going to fall in. But hey, you know what? That's where we are today. You want to act like a professional, be paid like a professional? Sometimes you're going to get treated like a professional. That just is what it is. So the unfortunate aspect, this all took place. Billy Napier in Florida did the right thing. You had to do this. You had to let this young man walk to sort of save face and to allow positive recruiting to continue down the road. Just too much ammunition that you're going to be handing over to people, and you can't go do that. Unfortunately, there's going to be a bit of a black eye that now surrounds that collective and how they do business, but need to dig a little bit deeper as into who may truly be at fault and how everything took place here. Also for Florida, you get Damian George, an offensive tackle from Alabama. Uh, super, super, super talented football player. A guy that Alabama has wanted to push onto the field for a long time. Some of it mentally hasn't been there. I don't think physically there's been any issue. Change of position been a little bit of a problem. Uh, I think Rob Sale and those guys are going to be able to get that fixed. They'll be fine there. But the good news for Florida is you get a player that is more talented than a lot of the other offensive linemen you have on the roster. So he should be able to help from that perspective. So that's a big get for the Gators. Um, moving on to a couple of other things. Speaking of being mad about name, image, likeness, national letter of intent, letting guys out, whatever that is. I was asked this question this week also. Should you be mad at Stetson Bennett? Should we be mad at Stetson Bennett? Georgia quarterback just won his second consecutive national title. Um, if you missed it and you didn't see it, uh, they had a parade, a parade for winning a national title, by the way. So keep that in mind. Guy just brought you a second consecutive ring. And he was looking at his phone a lot of the time. He was looking down. I guess he wasn't waving at, at fans, which, you know, we get mad at kids for not doing things our way. But we're also mad because we weren't satisfied at what we were going to get from it being our way. You see how both of those can be wrong at the same time, but we only want one to be wrong. All right, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like at 25 years old, I would have not acted a fool in certain ways or shown my ass a little bit in certain ways if you had a guy or if I was in a situation that I could have, especially when a lot of people had been doubting me and a lot of people had been telling me that I wasn't good enough or they didn't want me. And don't pretend like there weren't Georgia fans saying that. There were fans from a lot of other schools saying it too. The guy got it done. And as we've said on this show in our very short existence, that time to start looking away from some of the physical measurables of Stetson Bennett and start to look at what he's capable of doing. And that was two straight titles. In a perfect world, do you want your quarterback giving the parade wave and smiling the entire time and not looking at his phone? Now, he says Bluetooth. He's handling music. All right. I'll, I'll buy some of that. But also, it's, it's 2023, folks. Young kids stare at their phones constantly. I'm not saying it's right. 
It's kind of like what I talk about with bowl games. Kids sit out bowl games. Do I like it? No. Do I understand the reality of it? Yes. Do I like the reality of a kid staring at his phone for a parade? No. Do I understand where we are with today's youth? Yes. Should we be mad at him? No. I'm going to bang on a kid that just brought a school two consecutive national titles. A lot of that was his doing, by the way, whether you want to view it that way or not. I understand the draft ranking of other players, the all-time defense two years ago, all of that. But the guy went out and did it, and he backed it up. Could he have acted a little bit differently? Could he have helped his reputation some down the road? Sure, but that's his ass. That's his reputation in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, if it changes and if people continue to view him that way, which I'm not sure a lot of Georgia fans even really do. Okay? He had a chip on his shoulder. That's one of the things that made him great, by the way. So you can sit there and say you're mad at the way he's acting. Well, hell, half of his preparation, half the way he played in games, that edge probably came from some of what the frustration that he still carries around with him was built upon. It's still there. We all have those instances and certain things of people in our personal life, professional life, told us we couldn't do it, told us we weren't good enough, we're too short, we're too big, we're too fat, we're too ugly, we don't talk correctly, whatever it is. He's carrying some of that with him, and that's what helped motivate him to go out and be great and do some of the things that he did. You can sit there and say you wish he would have acted a little bit differently, that's fine. But to generally be mad at the kid and to bang on the kid and to say that you don't like him or say he's a bad person because he was looking at his phone in a damn parade? Come on, people. Like, let's, let's just take a step back and, and see what it is first. Would I want my kids doing it that way? Probably not. I'd have a talk with them. But also wouldn't want people hating my child because they decided to act like an imbecile at an event in which they were carrying some of that animosity around still. Whatever is what it is. If you're asking me the question, no, you should not be mad at Stetson Bennett. A couple of things happening for Georgia. People concerned about the amount of guys that are leaving. One position of concern seems to be pass catchers. Dominic Blaylock going to the NFL. Kyrus Jackson going to the NFL. Darnell Washington going to the NFL. Now you got A.D. Mitchell transferring out to Texas. A.D. Mitchell came on late and was great. He brought a little bit of a different dynamic that they didn't have. He's kind of going home. Good for him. Whatever. If there are folks that are legitimately concerned, and I know certain positions you can look at and say, oh, the depth there, like they lost a couple of offensive linemen. Well, guess what? Cedric Van Pront's coming back, and he's the guy that held it all down, that held it together. He's the one that welcomes the responsibility that comes with playing center. I think he's the best returning center in college football next year, and he's going to have a boatload of talent around him. They will be fine up front. Broderick Jones was great. Warren McClendon was great. They're going to the NFL. Van Pran's the guy that held it down, that understood mentally and emotionally what it took, and he's going to be back. And there are still some improvements in his game that he can make going into next year that could help him be even better. But still, he's the best center returning in college football next season, in my opinion. Great news for Georgia. For those that are a little bit concerned about pass catchers, you look at Brock Bowers. We know that. He's going to be back. All right. But what has Kirby Smart already done? He's addressed this through the portal. Dominic Lovett, a slot receiver, a move receiver who can be an end-around guy. He can line up in the slot. You can motion him. He can catch short passes. He can help take the top off. A guy last year that went for 56 catches, 846 yards, and three touchdowns. He can be dynamic. And then you get a completely different body type in Ra Ra Thomas out of Mississippi State, bigger, more physical receiver. 
that had 626 yards, seven touchdowns last year. Now you might say 626. It's not that great. Okay. Keep in mind, Mississippi state had nine players with over 30 catches last year, nine with over 30 catches. Georgia had three, not banging on Georgia, not saying there's anything wrong with that from a Georgia perspective. They obviously ran the ball a hell of a lot more. My point being ball spread around a lot. Ra-Ra Thomas still led the team in receiving yards, still had seven touchdown receptions. Kirby's gone out and gotten two different type of receivers that can line up different places, do different things, give you different attributes, catching different routes in different ways. And he has I maybe strengthened that group going into the next season. If you're asking me right now, receiving core in the SEC that I have the most confidence in going into the next season, Georgia and LSU, and probably lean Georgia a little bit more because they're tight end pass catcher. If we're going pass catchers, if we're going wide receivers, Georgia and LSU, close. Neck and neck, maybe lean Georgia a little bit. Pass catchers, you lean Georgia a little bit more because of Bowers, Oscar Delt, Mason Taylor's great, but you still lean Georgia a little bit. My point in all this is there should be no real concern. That has been washed away. That is not an issue at all. All right, so... Georgia taken care of. Let's get to a couple other things happening around the league. Uh, Kendall Bryles is out as offensive coordinator at Arkansas. I think it's a big hit. I'm not going to pretend like it's not. I think Kendall Bryles is one of the best play callers in all college football. I'll put him up there with Levy. I'll put him up there with Lane. I'll put him up there with Sark. I'll put him up there with Grubb at Washington. I think he's one of the best play callers in college football. Period. That's it. That's all needs to be said. Now, what you were looking at bringing back was the relationship between he and KJ Jefferson, which had a chance to expand. Got Rocket Sanders coming back behind you. You lose part of your offensive line. You lose Trey Knox. You lose Hazelwood out wide. Defense is going to be very different. Barry Odom's also gone. Most of your leading tacklers are going to be gone. Obviously, Drew Sanders is out. He was dynamic for you on that side of the ball. Catalan hadn't been healthy, but he's gone to Texas. So you've taken a lot of hits in a lot of places. I'm getting a little bit concerned about Maybe not the one big hit because you do have your quarterback returning, which is massive. We know what that position means, but I'm getting a little bit concerned about the number of hits that the Razorbacks are taking. And I love Sam Pittman, but we're about to find out what he's made of from an organizational standpoint and being able to keep things together and having that list in his desk drawer that he can pull out of who all's next because Barry Odom took Michael Shearer with him, who was also a big help. That's going to hurt. Kendall Bryles goes, and now you bring in Dan Enos, who I like. I think Dan Enos is a good coach. I think he's a really good coach. Where I think there may be advantages here, do I think Dan Enos is as good or better play caller than Kendall Browns? I'm not going to say better, no. I think he's a very good play caller. But where Dan Enos has done very special things in the past is help develop the quarterback position. So what we could be looking at is maybe an offense that from a play calling perspective doesn't give you all the advantages that Kendall Browse did, doesn't have as, as, as much of some certain things, but you could see maybe KJ Jefferson take a little bit of a bigger step. That obviously would be big and would help. So I like bringing Dan Enos in from the quarterback perspective. And here's the other cool thing about Dan. Like, We've seen him be zone read. We've seen him be sort of West Coast-ish. We've seen him be more spread. We've seen him be a little bit more pro style. Like he's been a lot of different things. He's been drop back. He's been play action. He's been Q run. So Dan Enos is very versatile. He'll get in. He'll see what he has. He'll say, oh, quarterback who's mobile, who can take a little bit of a pounding. I'm going to put that in. Oh, dynamic tailback. We're going to run the ball. 
Oh, we have this guy who could take the top off. Here comes play action. He'll install all the different things into that offense that he knows he has the personnel to be able to do. That's one of the best things about Dan Enos. And Arkansas fans already know him. So I think that's a that's a nice replacement for one of the best play. You aren't just going to go get another top five play caller in college football. Those guys just aren't available. They're not just hanging on trees. That's why Clemson just went and did what they did to get the guy that Kendall Browse is going to replace. So that just doesn't happen. But I do think it's a very nice replacement, and I think it could be a little bit better replacement in a little bit of a different way. One of the other big questions floating around the SEC this week, who will play quarterback for Ole Miss? Now, Walker Howard, the former four or five star, whatever you got. I've told you guys before the recruiting rankings and stuff. I'm, I'm not. I don't know all of it. Uh, and I don't know a ton about Walker Howard. Like, great reputation. Sounds like a great player. I know people in Baton Rouge liked him. I know apparently he's got good game. Well, I haven't seen him play college quarterback. I think he's one for two this year, whatever it was. All right, good. Like, one of the seven guys that threw a pass for LSU in the bowl game. Congratulations. All I'm saying is I haven't seen the tape of him in games in college. So, still a little bit of wait and see. Um, what I do know is that Jackson Dart, went out and had a productive year. Also thought he got better throughout the course of the year last year. So he knows the offense. He can run the offense, started adding more quarterback run last year. Thought that helped him out. Judkins obviously was a big help, but now you're looking at Mingo's going to be gone. Malik Heath is going to be gone. Nick Broker is going to be gone. So a lot of your pass catchers are gone. And yeah, you bring back a dynamic pass catching tight end and trick. It's going to be able to help. Uh, I don't think that you're ever going to completely be void of pass catchers in a Lane Kiffin offense, but Jalen Robinson also hits the portal. So now you're kind of looking at it like, all right, what's happening here? Because then Spencer Sanders from Oklahoma State comes into the picture. If you're asking me of Walker Howard, Jackson Dart, Spencer Sanders, who's your starting quarterback? I'm going to say Spencer Sanders. I mean, the kid's got... 9,575 yards passing, 67 touchdowns to 50 picks. The 50 picks could be a problem. He also has 18 rushing touchdowns. So you're getting a more of a dual threat guy who has more experience. Keep in mind, Darts played two years of college football. Total. More experience, maybe more dynamic, more of a threat with his legs, and someone who just physically is a little bit more mature. Now, how much does all that matter? I think it matters a lot, and I think you just brought in your starting quarterback. What does that mean for Jackson Dart? No idea. Uh, I know the other two quarterbacks, Altmeyer and the other kid, are out. So there you go. You still got to keep a couple on staff. And then I guess you look at Walker Howard and you say, hey, you can be the backup this year, and then he's gone, and then here we go. I don't think those three are on the roster next year. I'll tell you that. There's just no way in hell that's going to happen. Um, so that's kind of a question around Ole Miss and, and what's going to happen, what should happen there. Some other coordinator chains. I don't think last week we got to Liam Cohen coming back to Kentucky. Uh, and there's a lot of concerns with Kentucky right now, but there are a lot of holes that are starting to be plugged and bringing a little extra confidence. Um, I think the, the offensive lineman you're getting out of Northern Illinois went back and I studied him. I think he's super athletic. I don't think he's a plug and go guy. And I don't think he starts right away. Um, now, I think what you do have are two dynamic receivers who are going to be able to help whatever happens right now. Barry and Brown, Dane Key. Keep in mind, and I'm not saying either one of those guys are Wandale Robinson, but keep in mind what Lee and Cohen did with Wandale Robinson to be able to isolate him, move him, find matchups with him, force feed him the football to be able to go find success. You'll get that along with a very experienced quarterback that when he's healthy, 
when he's good, everything is going to be okay. Some kid just legitimately crashed a mini motorcycle in my front yard in Crocs. And I don't know what to do about it. Good for you, kid. Sorry. I hope you don't have to go to the ER. But what you will get in Devin Leary is an experienced quarterback who can make the throws, but he's got to be healthy. Number one has to be healthy, which tells me that offensive line needs to improve. Now, get the kid in from Alabama. He might be able to help as well. That group wasn't good last year, and there's no way for me to sneak around that and tiptoe my Jordans around that to make you believe that that offensive line wasn't as bad as it appeared to be most of the time because it was. It's one of the reasons Levis got the shit kicked out of him half the season. That's got to change. But I do think one thing that can happen is Liam Cohen can move the pocket a little bit. He'll get the stretch play going just a little bit more. He'll widen the surface some with extra tight ends. And that will help out. The thing that nobody's talking about with Kentucky right now, and I'm telling you, listen to me on this one. Ray Davis will get it done. Vanderbilt running back, transferring in. Tough, physical, big. Not super breakaway speed, but he's got enough ability to be able to get you some explosive plays. He is exactly what they need in this system. He is he's a, a little bit more physical, a little bit less shifty Chris Rodriguez. is kind of where I would but they would sort of meet in the middle on some things very close. But Ray Davis has not been playing in a system that allows him to be a successful and even behind an offensive line that would allow him to be a successful. He will be big for Liam Cohen's offense. And if that helps keep Devin Leary healthy, you've got the dynamic receivers to be able to go out and do it. Brad White's getting some defenders back on the edge. Yes. The Justin Rogers loss inside is going to hurt. But Brad White, one of the most underrated defensive coordinators in the league. So there you go. I think Kentucky, a big hit getting Liam Cohen back. We know about Devin Leary, but don't forget Ray Davis for Kentucky. Um, Some other coordinator news, Mississippi State. Uh, We didn't know where this thing was going to go. We didn't know if it was going to be air raid. We didn't know if that was kind of the direction you wanted to take there. But it's not going to be that. You go and you're going to get... Uh, an offensive coordinator from App State and Kevin Barbe. But you're bringing in Will Friend and Mike Schmidt, two offensive line coaches. Chad Bumpus will be there to coach receivers. He's obviously a state guy. So that gives you some familiarity, gives you a little bit of the feel good, which is great. Every staff's got to have a little bit of that. Um, but here's here's what I like about this. Now, it's not air raid, but I do think that it will be, it'll be more balanced, but it can still be pass heavy. Barbe can run it that way. Uh, I mean, go watch the A&M game if you want to see what App State's capable of doing. And they played bully ball on that afternoon and they beat up a young A&M offensive line. Needs to be run heavy. They can do that. But what I like first and foremost is if you're going to get away from it some, your offensive line is going to need a lot of development because those guys used to taking vertical pass sets, like one pass set. You play tackle in a different scheme, more of a pro style scheme. You're going to take quick sets out quick to cut off a guy that's, you know, can get up field or maybe beat you inside. Somebody who's got speed and line up out wide, you're going to take that vertical set and be able to get back. You're going to do a lot of different things. Uh, in the air raid, you usually take one set. So it can be complicated. It can be difficult, bigger splits. Now you'll have tighter splits. You'll take different sets. You'll have different steps in the run game. I love, love, love this move to be able to bring in two offensive line coaches. And you say, what? Well, that's a waste of an on-field coach. No, not when you take Mike Schmidt, and I'm not talking about the Phillies, third baseman Hall of Famer from Syracuse and San Diego State and say, all right, your tackle's tight ends. And then you go get a guy that's brand new. I think Will Friend's now been at, what, five, six, even by playing at Alabama SEC schools. So he knows the league and knows exactly how to handle a lot of different things. He knows recruiting. He's a good offensive line coach. He handles the middle three. 
This is what it allows you to do, though. It allows you to split the groups up. So Will Friend can take maybe center left, and Mike Schmidt can take right guard, right tackle, or Schmidt can just take the tackles and the other three, or you can take the ones and the twos. And you basically have two offensive line coaches. Your repetitions in practice skyrocket. And we know the development that needs to happen with that position in college football. I love that hire. I love that move. We, there's only a couple of coaches that do it, but I think the benefit that you will get from a rep perspective with your ones and your twos and quality reps with your ones, because they don't all five have to be there at the same time. And it's left tackle, left guard, center, right guard, right tackle, like all the way down. Now you'll be able to get more meaningful reps with more guys throughout the course of practice. And I think that's a really good hire. I think it's a really good way to handle it. I'm a fan of that. I like it. Um, now we mentioned LSU losing Walker Howard quarterback to old miss. Uh, my understanding here is this is not Walker Howard not wanting to compete because obviously, listen, he's going to a spot that has a starting quarterback and just brought in probably the actual starting quarterback. I don't think that he, I don't think the people around him viewed the competition as being that. I don't know where else to say or how else to go with that, but don't think he looked at it as a real competition. That, that's my opinion on it based on facts and opinions. I'll say that. But now he'll go to Ole Miss and he'll have to compete. But Nussmeyer obviously got some reps in the bowl game, SEC championship game. Jaden Daniels coming back. We know those two have a great chance to get most or all the playing time this upcoming season. And then Nuss can be the guy after Daniels and you bring in another high-profile kid. So it is what it is, but he's out. I went back and studied Oregon State linebacker Omar Spites. Um, he's going to be coming in LSU next year. You lose one linebacker transferring to Auburn. Um, I think Spites is rangy. He's lean. He's athletic. Um but there are times in which he should make plays that he doesn't. Uh, the physicality is not really used to what you're seeing from an SEC linebacker, but he's played a ton of football. He brings a ton of experience in. He obviously understands the game, the speed of it, the physicality of it, how to handle yourself at practice and around the classroom and whatnot. So he gives you a veteran presence, which is good. And Matt House is going to ask those linebackers to do a lot of different things. I mean, just look at all the different places they lined up Harold Perkins this year. But I don't see like a super dynamic playmaking plug and go, you know, Devin White, 120 tackle guy when I watch Omar Spites. That's just that's me going back and watching it, kind of what I see. Um, some other guys that I went back and studied this week, just kind of run through a couple quickly. Uh, Cincinnati wide receiver Nick Martiner. I think I mentioned him last week when we talked about Auburn, a six six kid coming in. Now, I don't think he's big enough to actually act as a tight end but I do think he gives you some red zone threat and he can help you a little bit that way struggles to get separation. The opposite of what I saw when I went back and studied FIU tight end Rivaldo Fairweather. Now this kid, so he lines up in the slot a lot and he wins in the slot a lot versus linebackers and safeties. That is massive. Cause it's cool to say we have a flex tight end. We have a tight end that can go line up in the slot. Like the reason why Travis Kelsey's dynamic is when you put him in the slot, he wins. So that forces you to say, all right, how do we want to cover this guy? We better go light. Well, if you go light and we still win, here's our run game advantage. But it doesn't just have to be a run game advantage because we win when you go light in the passing game. I think that's what Fairweather brings. He lines up in line a lot, so he'll put his hand down next to an offensive tackle. He doesn't love the contact. He doesn't love the physicality. I can see it. I understand it. He's only like 220, 225, so he's not even like a – 
He is a, a tweener to even be doing that. And in the SEC, that's going to be even different. Bulk him up a little bit, get him a little bit stronger, work with some of the fundamentals. He's at least willing to try it. And I can tell he doesn't love it, but he can work the middle of the field really well. Working down the seams, working slants from the slot, in traffic in the end zone, got a massive catch radius. You see him on film standing there. He's one of those guys, like a basketball player. looks like his fingertips go past his kneecaps. Body type, probably what Auburn needs. Now you have two big body receivers that can help you do different things. And then a guy that can line up in different places, which in this offense is going to be big. Most of these up-tempo offenses will tell you the flex tight end is a position that either makes you or breaks you to go be next level, super unbelievable, amazing offense, or to maybe just be semi-average or a little above average and be able to get some things done, but not everything is at your disposal. So those are a couple of the guys that I watched. Uh, we did have a couple of tweets into the show asking for different things. Some of you want us to talk Rashada. We did that. Um, at Tiger Histalmos tweeted in, wanted to know top incoming player that you're excited to see. So I did want to get to that before we go off for me. Now, listen, I'm weird. I live in the trenches. That's where my eyes are. That's what I get excited about. But I'm excited to see Tulsa offensive tackle Dylan Wade come into the SEC because I think he is as talented as any other SEC tackle out there right now. Now, there's a little asterisk next to that because there's not a ton of first round top 10 offensive tackles in the league right now. Now, maybe Avery Jones, Will Campbell at LSU down the road could be, might be. Uh, maybe Damian George gets different coaching and he sort of turns into it. We just had two big time tackles leave Georgia. I think Amarius Mims have a chance to be that one day, but I want to see how he handles his business in the SEC and in an offense. Honestly, it's not going to ask him to take a ton of professional pass sets or just go road grade guys on inside zone plays. He'll have an, he'll have an opportunity to do a little bit of that, but he's somebody who's athletic enough to do the other things. Again, I'm weird. That's just kind of where my mind lives. Like Justin Rogers from Kentucky, the interior D lineman. I'm interested to see him at Auburn. But another part of that is Auburn hasn't had a lot of those things in the last four, six, eight years. Interior defensive lineman, yes. Offensive lineman who can actually get after you and be a difference maker have not seen a ton of that. So that would actually be different for a guy in an Auburn uniform. And I just think he can be great in the SEC. I think he's that talented and that athletic. And I think Jake Thornton working with him is going to help his game go to the next level. So appreciate you tuning in. As you guys know, we're here every Sunday. Brought to you by Wickles Pickles. Wickedly delicious. I'm glad you're tuning in. I'm glad you're watching. I'm glad we're able to get to some of the topics that we did. We'll have even more next week. I'm going to try to study a couple portal guys that are coming into the league each and every week so I can give you an idea of what your team is getting. Like one other thing that I know I didn't hit and I want to spend a little more time on later in the offseason, Spencer Rattler coming back. We mentioned that, but Juice Wells coming back, that is massive for South Carolina. I know you got a new coordinator. I know you got a bunch of other guys leaving, like Marshawn Lloyd's going to USC. I get it. You got a tight end flex guy and Jaheim Bell's going down to Florida State with an edge rusher from your team going to Florida State. You got a, an edge defender going out to Oregon. It's fine. But I'm just telling you, Spencer Rattler back, elite level of talent with what I believe to be the best receiver returning in the SEC. I said it. Malik Neighbors, close. Yes, I get it. There are a couple other guys out there that had good years. Brew McCoy had a nice year last year. Ra Ra Thomas coming back. For me, if I got one guy in one game that's going to get 15 targets, give me Juice Wells. 
Part of that is I know his character. I know his makeup. I know what he's all about. I think he's the best returning receiver in the SEC. That is a massive start for Shane Beamer going into the next season. So that's our show for today. We try to keep it around 30, 45 minutes. Sunday college football content. Please, YouTube, subscribe to the channel. Please, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. I ask you. I hate asking you. I've been told I need to ask you. Please like, rate, review, subscribe to those. Download them, whatever the hell else you do. We are very appreciative to be here with you. We're going to be back next week with more college football content. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.